sermons that we've been in since apparently 1942. It's the journey of discipleship, and we've been spending a lot of time uh, just walking through the scriptures, the words of Jesus, the words of other places in the Bible, uh, just to really find the inspiration and the call uh, to be disciples of Jesus, to do more than, you see, the Christian faith is not like my crockpot, it's set it and forget it, give my life to Jesus and then wait for heaven, or come to church at least one Sunday a month, praise the Lord at least one Sunday a month, and then I'm good. It's about uh, an entire orientation of our lives that we would grow in loving the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. To challenge, uh, to hear the challenge, to give our whole lives to Jesus and watch the world open up as God shows us how to live uh, abundantly and full of power and joy. And so today we're talking about, as capstone for this series, uh, giving our ultimate allegiance to Jesus. And so I want to turn our attention to the scriptures. We'll be in the book of Colossians. This is a letter that uh, the Apostle Paul has written to a particular church, you know, maybe like one like us gathered here in a city called Colossae in Asia, back in what I like to call in my biblical language, the day. Very good. Uh, This is boding well um, for my humor and jokes. We're going to be reading chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. And just real quick, what you're going to see, what we're going to hear is a prayer that Paul prays for them. And then what I hope are familiar words, this beautiful, almost like a hymn of praise to the supremacy of Jesus. So hear these words of the scripture. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you might lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. And may you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. I almost just want to stop and say amen after every line. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? 
Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Speak to us, O Father, by your Holy Spirit, that we might have a word today for our lives. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So at the age of 21, I had finally made it. Finally. Listen, my life was mapped out. I was to get my college degree, and according to some uh, senior members of my household, get one of those yonder real jobs. And by the age of 21, in the month of March of that year, I had in my hand a degree, an education, and a certificate of teaching, and I had secured a job teaching drama at Camden County High School. Finally, I had done it all of my life's work finally moved to this moment and I was ready to roll. I had it. I had what my parents always wanted, what I always wanted, what I always was supposed to do. So I moved on home in the month of, Mar- of, month of May to get ready for my brand new job at Camden County High School. And there's something in all of my education, in all of my time and, and supervised teaching, in all of these things, there's one thing that somebody conveniently forgot to tell me And all of these wonderful interviews I had with the recruiters from the high school telling me how wonderful it was going to be to come back home and teach at my home high school. One thing they forgot to tell me as I got home in the month of May. I wasn't going to get paid until the end of September. I had to report in July and I wasn't going to get paid until the end of September. So I got a temp job with my college degree and teaching certificate at a local hotel, which was just like the Taj Mahal in a children's book. If you squinted and held your nose. So I went to work the front desk up until I had to report to work. And here's here's where uh, I'm going here. So I had about four minutes of training, and... uh, Then the people said, all right, you're on your own. I'm going to bed. I would work the 3 to 11 shift, five to six days a week. And uh, day one, I had no idea what I was doing. I still didn't, but I had got the hang of the computer system. A few days in, I was thinking I had this down pretty well. And you get the occasional call. You check somebody in, and and they call you. Nobody's happy when they spend money for a room, and it's not like the Ritz-Carlton. So you get calls every day, and it smells funny. Well, you're in Georgia. It's humid. It's not going to smell great. Uh, There are bugs. You're in Georgia. There are bugs. Um, This is broken. That's broken. But you try to connect people with the maintenance crew and all this. And so one time I got this call, super angry fella. Um, That's all I'll say. The toilet was broken. And so I'm sitting here trying to find the maintenance number. uh, And I look up, and there's two people walk into the front desk. I say, hold on. I'll be right there. And then another call comes in on another line. Uh, Can you hold, please? And then I look up, and the line to check into the hotel is starting to go out the door. And there are more lines lighting up everywhere. I can't get a hold of the maintenance man. And the person on the phone is angrier and angrier and angrier. And the lines on the phone are blink, 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 blink. And the people are there, there, there. And my head is spinning. And everybody and everything wants my attention and I don't know what to do. I don't know how I got through that, but I did. I'm sure I lost some revenue that day. But my goodness, life is like that sometimes. I think about that experience quite frequently in my day-to-day life because it illustrates so much for me. I've got three kids at home and at any given point, it's dad, 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 all from different rooms. I can only send one to mom because we have three. We're playing zone defense, and it's like, what do I do? What do I do? Which one of you is dying? Everybody wants my attention. 
But I'm going to be honest, that, that switchboard on the phone, life is very much like that. You, you know this as well as I do. It's like one big grab for our attention after another. Everybody wants a piece of you. And everybody wants you to think that you need a piece of them. Work needs you. They cannot get by without you. The company with the ad on the billboard or on the online or on the TV has this great promised gadget that you have to have and they want your attention to get it. It will fulfill you. Politics tries to grab your attention because every, everybody wants your money and your vote and they're all trying to get your attention with cries uh, that play on your fear of safety. The latest health fads, they've got to have your attention. Parenting styles, grabbing your attention. The things that your friends have, they all want your pound of flesh. And you add to all of that just the stuff that you've got to do at any given day. And it can leave you with your head spinning. Everybody wants a piece of us. And we've got to sort through that. And we can. And we can do it well. But if we're not careful, we can find ourselves looking back on our days or even our life and say, I kept giving my attention to this job, to my work, or to this uh, status in my community, or to this feeling, or, or, or whatever it is. And you can look back and say, I didn't realize it was happening, but I just gave my whole life to this thing. I just gave my whole life to this thing for a week, or a day, or a year, or 20 years. I had a wise person tell me once, they said, Jim, you're a pastor. I said, well, that's very observant of you. Um, And they said, but look, no matter what church you're in, they're going to have many pastors. But if you do this right, Amanda will have one husband, and Jack and Dean and Nora will have one father. You can spend your whole life and turn around and say, oh my gosh, I didn't realize all that money I worked hard to make, and it's gone, and that's where my heart went. Or whatever it is. And you know how you can tell? You can do a little checkup right now. Check your calendar. Check your calendar. Where have you spent your time? Pick a time a week. You can tell where your allegiance has lied, what has grabbed your attention. Check your transaction record. See what you spent your money on. Check your internet browsing history. Look back over the time. How much time have you spent uh, emotionally engaged in uh, current events that you really have very little influence over? Check your tension. How much anxiety or worry have you felt because you have felt that you're in control and it all rests on you anyway. All signs that something has grabbed a hold of your heart and maybe, maybe it has taken over your allegiance, even for a time. So the question for us today is what, what has been the center of my attention? What has my allegiance? Not what I say, has my allegiance. What has my allegiance? Now, you would probably say, and most people would agree with you, that this is as fast a pace as the world has ever been, and there's probably a way that that's true, but uh, there's nothing new under the sun. I read that in the Bible, the book of Ecclesiastes, by the way, and the world has always moved and clamored for people's attention. In fact, you might, uh, we're not the first Christians to have to figure out how our faith in Jesus interacts with all of the stuff that wants a piece of us. And so, for example, Christians like those in Colossae, who are the people that Paul wrote this letter to that we just read a passage from, 
they weren't without their struggles for attention either. Now, Paul will tell us that, that he lifts up their faithfulness and, and, and they have a, a lot to be example for, but they found themselves in the same situation and Paul addresses that in many ways here at the beginning of the letter. And so I think it's worthwhile for us. Let's take a look at what Paul and the, the scriptures had to say to them that we might be able to learn from it. And so Apostle Paul is writing to real people in a real place. It's a city in in Asia. It's under the control of the Roman Empire. This is their government. It's not necessarily welcome, but the empire came and took over, and here we go. We're under Roman authority. We have a king. He's a Caesar of the Roman Empire. And though the Colossians, they've got a great reputation for whenever they gather, they've got great faith in Jesus Christ, they've still got a lot of stuff clamoring for their allegiance. Let me give you just, uh, let me see, three, three examples of that. What is going for their allegiance? One, there's Rome itself. You know, the citizens of the empire were expected to literally worship Caesar. It's time to worship Caesar. And you know, um, if you don't, you probably don't want to run around and say, hey, guess what, Uh, I'm not worshiping Caesar today. You might want to keep that a little quiet. Everybody's doing it. And on top of that, you're, you're a Christian who's supposed to worship the one true God and everybody's worshiping Caesar. It's a big expectation. And then there are some perks, I'm not going to lie, about being a citizen of Rome. You kind of get, like, the first place when the good opportunities come around. There's some perks that you might not get when you're a Christian, but if you're a Roman citizen, some social standing reserved for Roman citizens, some financial opportunities reserved for Roman citizens, authority reserved for Roman citizens. I mean, that's kind of hard to ignore, isn't it? I mean, that's really hard to ignore that. I mean, we love Jesus. Here we are in church, and you go out and... I still got to eat and still would like a little taste of that. I mean, it's hard to ignore. Okay, so there's Rome. They're also surrounded by other gods and popular religions. We may not have that the same way anymore, but we might still have our religions out there that vie for our attention. And here's the deal. The people in Colossae probably came out of the worship of these other gods. They were probably converted out of that. And you know what's hard? Is to shake deep-seated religious behavior. That's hard. That's real hard. Let me give you two examples that you might be able to resonate with. One, I notice that 90% of you are sitting in the exact same spot you sat in last time you were here. It's like no big deal. Everybody always does this, okay? But let me show you how hard it is to shake deep-seated religious behavior. Come in next week. If somebody else is there, you're probably really cool with that, but you don't quite know what to do. Can I, experience, can I experience Jesus if I see the screen 30 degrees this way? I don't know. It's never happened before. And watch this. Next week, when we have one combined service at 11, there are going to be people that they know it, they reminded of themselves the night before, and they're going to wake up and be at church at 9 o'clock because it's what they always do. It's hard to shake deep-seated religious behavior. Can you imagine? Especially for these people, everybody's still sacrificing and worshiping and doing all of the other crazy stuff they did. Listen, they've got the pressure of their neighbors. I don't care how old you are. It's hard not to do what your peers do. It is hard. You might not want to, you know, we always talk about kids and peer pressure. But how many of us bought things that our 40, 50, 60-year-old friend has, made the same choices that they make, 70 and 80 year old friends are doing this and we're doing it. It's just hard to shake it. So you see, they've got that going on. And then one more thing, uh, there's a lot of persuasive philosophy about who this Jesus is. 
It's new on the scene. Some would say, look, he's not quite what you think. He's good for knowledge, but not for power. He's good to give you a set of religious practices, but not good for peace. He's one idea and a great sea of ideas, but you're taking it a little bit too far here. And when people, like I'll speak for myself here, when when I respect somebody's opinion and they tell me that I'm kind of missing the mark or wasting my time, that really makes me want to step back a little, doesn't it? Got all this going on. I can imagine the Colossians feeling like their head is spinning, like all of the lines on the phone are lit up and the line is out the door in front of the desk. All of these and many more things are at work asking for their allegiance and promising them contentment in life. And it's into this situation that Paul speaks into this conflict with some truth. He speaks into this conflict with some truth. Paul's message is no matter how persuasive these things are, no matter the the promise that appeals to your deep-seated fear, your psychology, your biology, your sin nature, your need for contentment, no matter what it is, there is only one true thing that is worth centering your life around. There might be a king of Rome, but there is only one true and good king, and that is Jesus Christ. And you can hear it as he prays. He prays, look, may you be made strong with all of the power that comes from God. And be prepared, he says, to endure everything with patience while giving thanks to the Father. He's praying strength for them in the middle of all of this. And he says this, he has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, where his Son reigns, where Christ is King. That's a different kind of place. Paul reminds us that there is only one thing worthy of our allegiance, and that is Jesus Christ. And I love that that hymn, so to speak, that verse, I guess it's 15 through 20, about the supremacy of Jesus. Let me just share some of those thoughts with you. Of all of the things that are clamoring for the Colossians' attention, all of the things that are clamoring for our attention, none of them have ultimate authority or power in this world. None of them. There is only one with ultimate power in this world, and that is Jesus Christ, who is more than knowledge, more than just one idea among many, and more than just one of many possible paths to a good life. Jesus Christ is, in fact, the king who rules not just over Colossae, not just over the Roman Empire, not over the first century, not just over today in this place or just over your life, but all of the universe. And not with fear and not with terror and not with crafty deceit, but with grace and love and forgiveness. This is what Paul is telling us. And there is no idea, no matter how good or how much uh, you're proud of yourself for coming up with it, no philosophy, no government, no thing in the world that can bring the freedom, peace, and purpose to the world and to somebody's life other than Jesus Christ. All creation, Paul says, belongs to Christ. All of it. Even and especially things that people say, sorry, Jesus, that's mine. There will be a day where he'll come and he'll say, I'm sorry, you were wrong, it is mine. God made everything, Paul says, through Christ, through him. And all things were made for him. And I love this, and all things are under him. And that means that every broken system, every idea that went wrong, every promise that was broken, everything that left us disappointed, everything that's wrong with my life, every darkness that overtakes me, everything that I think is great and goes wrong, all of that is under 
Jesus. No earthly king, no kingdom, no ruler, no influential person, no idea, no action, no anything, according to the scripture, is more powerful than Jesus. There is no force in this world that is outside the dominion of Christ. I don't, I don't care if it's atomic or nuclear. I don't care if it's the power of that drive that's in you to do the thing that you know you shouldn't do, but you want to do it anyway. All of that is under the authority of Jesus. And Jesus is the only one, the only thing, the only person in all of history who's ever been able to defeat and cancel the power of sin and death. This is what Paul's telling us. Uh, It's exciting. There have been kings and kingdoms and, and systems of leadership all throughout history. They've got something in common. They have all eventually fallen victim to sin and death. And Jesus Christ has conquered them all and stands victorious. You just look at this window right here that tells the story of the ascension of Jesus and everything is under his feet. There is no idea or system or amount of duct tape that can hold together the complexity of this world. I've tried even holding my own life together, and I need a good bit of help with that. Can anybody agree with that? Not for me, but for you. Please don't. But Paul says all things, all things hold together in Christ. In Christ. Not all things hold together when you achieve it right. Not all things hold together when you finally behave right. Not all things hold together when you finally feel good. All things hold together, not in you, not in me, not in someone else, but in Jesus. And other kings and rulers have sought to bring peace into the world, and all of them end up through the use of force, clever deceit, and the spilling of blood of others. But Jesus Christ has brought peace to this world by conquering not people, not the downtrodden, but conquering death and sin itself. Jesus is the good king who brought forth his kingdom not by spilling your blood or someone else's blood, but his own blood on the cross, the good and righteous true king. This is the power of the truth that Paul brings to the Colossians in the midst of all of these things that are competing for their allegiance. He said, don't forget this. I know sometimes it's hard to see it because when that man or woman that's not your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, or wife comes by, it raises your blood pressure and everything you you just see red. And I know you can forget Jesus when you want to go and forsake your marriage vows or your family, but don't forget at that moment that even though you don't feel it and you don't know it, Jesus is still king and can conquer even that. Don't forget it when, my goodness, there's another thing. Oh, I've got to have it. Don't forget when you have a deep-seated need way down deep in your emotional life that you don't even know that draws you towards this thing that is ultimately either empty or destructive, don't forget that Jesus Christ is king of all things and everything else pairs in power and significance to the Christ who has saved you and showered you with love. And everything else will eventually fall away. Everything else will eventually fall away. And the one thing that will endure is the kingdom of God of which Christ is king and you as his people redeemed by his grace and mercy are transferred into that kingdom. Do not give your allegiance to something that will die and fall away when you have the good news. The question to consider, it's my question, it's your question, who will win the battle for your allegiance? And it's so interesting because we're going to 
end up making a de facto choice if we don't make a conscious choice. Whenever we feel that little tiny pull, that's all right, I'm just going to take care of me today. I don't care what you need. To be selfish, to be arrogant, to say, you know what, nobody's going to know. I need a little bit of this cash for me. The business is going to be fine. We're in a fight for our allegiance. Whenever we feel the desire to base our lives on the money we can spend or the things we can acquire, we're in a fight for our allegiance. Whenever we feel that lure and that temptation, whatever it is for you, everybody's got their own bag. That's a fight for your allegiance. And get this, whenever you let hopelessness and fear overtake you, that's a fight for your allegiance. And all of these things that I've just named and so many more, they want to reign over you. They're like tyrant kings. They, they say, come, give me your attention. Give me a little bit of yourself. I make all of these promises, but they will bind you up in things that will never last. As an example, just, and just think about this. I do this all the time. There's something that you just got to have. Oh, my goodness. You got to have it. Like, I'm not going to lie. I stayed up till midnight to buy Disney Plus because there's a new Star Wars show on it. I mean, that's destructive behavior. Got to have this. I do this all the time. I've got to have it. It won't leave my mind. I don't really have money for it. There's no real space for it. But my goodness, it would just be perfect. Wow. Hey, Amanda, it's on sale. I mean, it's $100 we were never going to spend anyway. But my goodness, and I can't stop thinking about it. And then I order it because I can get it in two days on Amazon. And then I check my tracking data like every five minutes. And I get it. And it's wonderful. Isn't it great? Isn't it great? And then within two days, there's something else that I've got to have. And I just need it. And I just... I mean, you just get that sense that there are things that that make big promises that always fail and we find ourselves not satisfied, not contented, feeling the same way about something else. There are many things that seek to reign over our lives and promise this peace and contentment only to leave us desiring something else. And yet, Jesus Christ is the king over all of these things. He says to us, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not like the world gives you, where it will disappoint you, or devastate you, or leave you empty, or fill you up with a promise that can never fulfill. My peace I give to you. The peace that will reign supreme over all things. The peace that comes from the one who created your very heart and your need for peace. And when Jesus Christ is the king over our hearts, we have true peace that can never be taken away. True meaning that can never be taken away. And true purpose. When we give our ultimate allegiance to Jesus Christ, we're standing on the strongest rock in the midst of a rushing river of failed promises and disappointing diversions. When all comes our way and we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, we still stand. God, through his love and mercy, has offered us redemption, the forgiveness of sins, to release us from the power of darkness, and as Paul says in his prayer, to make us, transfer us into the kingdom of God of the Son, Jesus, that never fails and never ends and never disappoints. So we've got to ask ourselves today, and we're going to have to ask ourselves tomorrow, and if we're serious about this, we'll ask ourselves again, what is competing for your heart today? What is battling for your allegiance? What are we allowing to sit on the throne of our hearts? And if you're serious about following Jesus, and I hope that you are, You're going to find yourself saying, God, please help me to say, 
that in this moment and the next, I proclaim that Jesus Christ is the king of my life and over this and over that. Because he is the king of peace, the king of grace, and the king of mercy. And he reigns over all things. Will we allow him to reign over our lives? Now, as we prepare to leave this place, we'll be back into the thick of it. There will be a battle for your allegiance probably within 10 minutes if it's not happening already. What will win the throne of your heart? I pray for myself and for you. May it be Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you will never be left empty or dissatisfied. My friends, keep your eyes on King Jesus. And pray for me to do the same. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you to pray with me. Father, there's so much even in our own, the makeup of our own lives that fights against this. I have so many deep drives in my life that I don't even understand. Father, I want to put you at the front of my life. Father, help me. Bring people around me. Bring me Christian friends. Help me by the power of your Holy Spirit just when I need you to keep my eyes set on Jesus. Because God, I know that in you is life and life to the fullest. I don't want for myself, for my family, for my friends, for me to wake up one day and look back and say, oh my gosh, I gave too much allegiance to this or that or the other. Father, may we know the true power of the reign of God in Jesus Christ. I pray for the one here today who's feeling in their heart a great struggle for something that they can't quite kick or for something that they feel powerless to overcome. I pray, Lord, that you administer to them today by your spirit. Help them, O Lord, to set their eyes on you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. This is a time